0: All right. Happy Sunday, everybody. We're going to discuss a few different topics. So you're getting part one of, I think, we'll do three parts here. So we'll have to link the subsequent parts into this video somehow. But to start off, the three different parts has a theme to it. I want to let you, Stanton, sort of address those themes because you sent a few different things to me, a few different concepts to me and they go together perfectly. And I think that, um, you know, thinking about those things is both your and my bailiwick. So go ahead with it. And after you do that, I don't know if you saw, I just put in that I'd like to talk about really quickly a current event. So you can decide which order you want to take those things.
1: Let's go through the uh, themes that we were talking about. We've recently done one about families and we're going to, Uh, including um, um, Hunter Biden and others who've been involved with addiction and treatment. And we're actually going to pick up with one of those again because they've been featuring it more. Um, And then we're going to go and ranch into something that's been in the news, what happens to youthful stars when they stop being children or teenagers or even young adults. And then we're going to talk about um, how to deal with your own child's gifts. What if you have a child who's exceptional or very much involved in something? How does that feed into an adult identity?
0: Before you get into it, let me t- let me do let me get five minutes of your time here before to, and it doesn't exactly feed into it, but it's something in the news. I can't think of a better time to bring it up except with the discussion with you. So do you mind if we do sure. this? We There's an article in VT Digger, it's actually a non-profit organization, sort of like how Filter is, and it started talking about politics here in Vermont, and then it got to be one of the more prominent papers that people read here, the most popular ones that people read. And it's talking about how legislators in Vermont, many of whom I know, good people, good progressives, are trying to follow suit, follow Portland's model, I guess you'd say to decriminalizing drugs in Vermont. And they do two things in this decriminalization package that they bring forward, at least in the way that they publicize it. So all the good Democrats who are behind this, who are trying to decriminalize drugs have a different bent that you and I are familiar with. One is, um, look, we don't need to decriminalize all drugs, but we should definitely decriminalize psychedelic drugs because they're not the harmful ones. Actually, you can use those medicinally. That's one bent. Of course, we have worried in the past that that sort of idea could easily lead us to a Prozac 2.0, but with psychedelics and Carl well, another
1: Hart. point about that's Carl Hart's point is that yeah, right.
0: middle-class exceptionalism. Exactly,
1: yep. College people like to explore psychedelics and they like to disdain the drugs that are were downstream socially. Exactly. Opioids and, and psychostimulants. Yep. And who made that decision, Charles? And I we joined him in being very skeptical about
0: that. Exactly. That's that was the second point I was going to make. Is it's exceptionalism. My drug's better than yours, and there are reasons why people think those drugs are better because they've they're drugs that people use currently that are not part of the downtrodden population. You, people aren't getting arrested for petty drug crimes because they use psychedelic drugs. They're getting in trouble. Um, and that kind of population that's getting themselves in a lot of trouble, and the worst sort of consequences are using you know the bad drugs cocaine, meth heroin so called bad drugs there's another bent well, I guess uh, this I is not say that they're
1: <clears throat> you know they they like the population, and that population tends to get in less trouble with authorities, partly because their drugs are less disturbing to them. So they say, well, look at these good people, that must be good drugs, um, but those bad people take those drugs. But mm-hmm. in fact, the data are really not that people are more compulsively inclined to take those, which is something you have at times selling in America. Right. You know, meth and heroin drugs, Carl talks about this, aren't used any more dangerously. It's a question of who ends up using them and how those groups are perceived. And that, that's been going on for quite a long time, although only recently psychedelics have become, they're a fad now. Um, I, I, my provider is NYU. They've got a psychedelic research treatment lab now. Everybody's on that band. They're writing bestsellers about it. Housewives are taking mini doses of LSD. God bless them. I it, mean, could, uh,
0: it, it could, could easily become one of those things that, you know, people are still fighting for respect for mat but it's like yeah i get i mean some areas probably there's still a draconian idea about lock everybody up and mat bad me good but for the most part it's that idea that people can do methadone and suboxone is on billboards now as you've mentioned so i imagine same thing could easily happen with something like psychedelic drugs but the the push is mainly to decriminalize all drugs and the idea similar to Portland, as you've pointed out, is that they want to funnel people into treatment. In fact, it says this bill is a push, this is a quote from one of the senators. This bill is a this bill is part of a larger push to end the failed war on drugs, which has disproportionately harmed undeserved communities of color. Fair enough. And then he says our bill helps lead us on a path to decriminalizing substance abuse So, that we can focus on providing addiction related treatment instead of paying for jail cells and ignoring the larger problem. In other words, it's not that people want to make drugs okay to do because we're recognizing that that's something that people already do. We're not honoring people and their choices. What we're saying is let's still make this something that, um, let's continue with the idea that drug use is not an accepted sort of behavior. Except instead of arresting people, which seems a little too harsh, let's do what we call helping and let's funnel them into a treatment. So once again, we have a story that se- sounds nice. It's being shared all around. And I couldn't help but offer my two cents that it's we are going to funnel this concept right back into everything American treatment industry.
1: Now, this feeds perfectly into Madeline Dean and Harry Cunane. Perfectly. Good. Because um, here's their story. Um is that there? Uh, Harry's uh, Madeline Dean was one of the house managers of the um, impeachment of trial of Donald Trump. But before that and going up until that, she's just been a, a model progressive legislator. She's always favored, you know, um, improved education and better housing and better health care. She's, she's you know, just a really admirable woman and her son has been had been addicted to opioids for the better part of a decade, a decade, and now. Um, he was ashamed about it, <clears throat> but now he finally came out and admitted it and when that happens, you get to put people in treatment and he got better so um. They're part of a long line that we've discussed of privileged offspring, you know, uh, William Cope Moyers um, and Beautiful Boy, Nick Chef. It took, uh, we only hear about them, uh, a lot of young people in that social class take drugs and maybe even have problems with it. They had problems for a while, all three of the people that were mentioned, Harry Cunningham, William Cope Moyers, and uh, Nick Chef, but then they got better. Um, and the chef story, as we pointed out, wasn't um, a rehab story. So that's not quite on topic. And here's the bottom line. they are they're, they're people we hear about because they're they're good-looking, well-educated, good speakers. Uh, Harry Kinane's a her son's a tall, good-looking man. And you like to hear that sort of a success story. But he... Here's the problem with that success story and this whole storyline. Even though it took them a while, maybe longer, perhaps than it took Maya Salovitz and others, yourself, um, they didn't get better because they entered treatment. They got better because all of their analysis shows they have positive predictors of succeeding. They're better educated. They have more personal resources. They have a stronger family connection that's well intact. Those are the things that predict outcome, um, whether or not people enter rehab. And there's the mistake, it's a coincidence. I, I know this sounds strange and people will be offended. Madeline need to be offended. No, it was his admitting he was addicted and going to rehab. That's what everybody has to do. And that's what I'm gonna devote my attention to. Get them into treatment. Now, there's, besides the fact that the data don't show the treatments, the critical factor, it's the background of the person that's the critical factor. We do a lot of treatment. In the 1980s, Betty Ford made getting into treatment famous on a private rehab basis. But in the 1990s, that started shifting in a government direction. And this is the direction it shifted in. Uh, Keith Humphreys, a man that I'm opposed to now, he's one of the chief advocates and apologists for AA, as though that's our problems, we don't have enough people in AA. Yeah, right. He did a great analysis of how government funding was shifting from providing social services to treatment, even within departments, whose goals were to help people in education, housing, and health and human services, education, housing, um, and health. They were shifting money away from providing basic services to providing treatment. That was the, that's the whole direction. And so in fact, Madeline Dean is an example of a long-term trend. We're talking, taking a longer look of things here, of Americans shifting uh, the resources they provide, social resources, in the direction of medicalized treatment. It's irreversible, uh, you know, poor little us and some others may have pointed this out. Keith Humphreys pointed it out, now he seems to have abandoned it. And this trend is something That has negative consequences and the negative consequences are obvious because in all three of those areas, housing, education, and health, we're deteriorating, particularly a segment of the society that has the worst outcomes health-wise and and in terms of drug use. Um, I'll just throw out some statistics we've used before. The United, out of 196 countries, Measured by the global burden of disease. You can read about it in the 2019 um, uh, happiness report, chapter seven. The United States has the most life years, quality life years, lost out of 196. They're number one for cocaine, number two for opioids, and number three for psychostimulants like math. How's that possible? How can we be the worst? We're twice as bad. uh, We lose twice as many life years as a comparable country like UK, the UK. Um, A second study that was published in last year, the Commonwealth uh, Fund determined that of 12 advanced countries, 11, 10 besides the US, the United States spent by far the most on healthcare, by far, 50% more than who was ever in second place and almost twice as much as some other countries. And we have the worst health outcomes, including we're number one in suicides. So what are the the data are telling us that our overall trend in providing more and more high-end care, a psychiatric and addiction care, um, is having overall negative consequences for society. And even the man who wrote A man I uh, respect, an economist who wrote the addiction, chapter seven addiction in the happiness report, ends up by saying, you know what? We need more treatment. Everybody, who could be against that?
0: Hmm.
1: Uh, Who could be against more treatment? How could Dean be saying the wrong thing when she says we need to get more people in treatment? By the way, her son is now employed um, in the treatment facility that he went to, uh, which is the Karen... Uh, foundation. Um, so it's turned out to be a good employment source for him. Uh, if you see those populations, they're upscale. <clears throat> and I, 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 not only did I run a rehab, but I was just, uh, I, I just added a section to my memoir. I worked at a place called Mathematica, and at one point, the president of our company, a brilliant world famous statistician, had been drinking at lunch. They didn't They didn't consult with me. Well, I only worked there nine months. That's my employment record, but that's another story. Um, they did an intervention and they sent them to the Karen Foundation. Now, when you're a world-class statistician and you had a major corporation, you have a good prognosis. You're mm-hmm. gonna, chances are you're gonna balance things out. Right. If, it, if, if only from the standpoint of saying, huh, i got a pretty good gig here, you know, in the family and a lot of support.
0: So they had a well-to-do guy send them to an upscale place.
1: Right. And, and, nice. web- and, they, and she wants to expand it to send more, what, how can we call them? All those people who were dying due to opioids, the downstream social classes. Um, the Appalachian, rural New England, um, inner city West Baltimore people, that's her concept. Let's get them into Karen Foundation, which is not gonna happen. I mean, what we do is we start taking government programs and instead of funding um, the basics that make people's lives work, we instead fund. The, come up with the concept, well, they've got a disease and so let's treat them. Um, it's objectively wrong. And it's creating, and it can never, it's a snowball that can never stop. Mm. And Madeline Dean, the most admirable person, really, I can't tell you how much I admire her and her recent activities in her whole life, is now on the bandwagon of diverting money from the programs that she's always emphasized in ways that she's not even aware of, how the funds shift um, to putting more people in treatment. It's really gonna help a lot of people in West Baltimore to take them out of an environment that doesn't work anymore. It's the murder Capital, one of the murder Capitals in the United States. There are a tremendous number of overdose deaths. People are homeless and without education. And let's take them out of the streets and put them in rehab. For how long? Three mm. months, nine months? And go back to where? And go back to where? And to go back to what in life? And I wanna contrast that with a group whose board I used to be on called Above and Beyond in Chicago. Um, <clears throat> run by some great friends of mine, you know, uh, the CEO, Dan Hostetler, um, is somebody who wrote a wonderful description of our relationship for my, for my memoir and they're, con- they have a center where I've spent a fair amount of time above and beyond in Chicago. It's a neighborhood of people, many of whom are homeless. Um, Many of whom are isolated, they don't have family connections, and they emphasize the four fundamentals of mental health and uh, escaping, avoiding, and overcoming addiction, which are home, gotta have a place to live, family, having intimate relationships, which many of these people have lost, health, you know, it's great to put people into, you know, the Betty Ford Center, Or into, you know, Karen Foundation. But what about the people who are dying already, even before they get around to, let's talk about the drug situation. And then the fourth thing is purpose, which means both work and education. And those are the fundamentals, the foundations, the pillars that they're working on. And in a way that Madeline can't realize, I'll just say that I realize it. Um, I've been writing about it for 50 years, uh, here's an open letter to Madeline Dean. Madeline Dean, in a way that you don't understand, you're part of a trend that's going in the wrong direction, and what you're witnessing with your son and with other people more even, is the results of that trend, and they're going against your basic values. I know I I speak about it a little differently than most people, You can look me up in Wikipedia. I've been predicting what's been happening and describing accurately which way addiction's been going for almost 50 years now. And you were part of a larger trend of disassembling. We had better social health programs in the 1980s than we do now, 40 and 50 years later. And primarily because we've been diverted by the concept That the problems we're dealing with are somehow identifiable as diseases that need to be treated in an isolated hospitalized setting as opposed to uh, giving people better foundations for living their lives. So Congresswoman Dean, here's my message to you. You might not hear it anyplace else. You're well-meaning, I admire you. Your son good-looking, intelligent man. I'm glad he's got a good job in the rehab industry now. But you're really disemboweling the United States and its whole social structure and taking that lifeblood and pushing it into treatment. Um, If not, I mean, you know, the Karen Foundation's doing fine without your help. But, you know, spreading those, even the American um, government is now incredibly invested in treatment. It's not going to have the results you want. You know, uh, I, I would say something like it "Down further down the road, we'll see how negative these results are, but we're already clearly seeing these negative results. Um, I'll just go over one more statistic, um, at which they... Uh, she was interviewed, by the way, I, I saw her, they got an extended interview, I'll, I'll tie this into my life again, with Andrea Mitchell, who I graduated Penn with, and, okay, I'm privileged, Andrea Mitchell gave the graduation speech for my son when he graduated from Penn, and they cited this statistic, they, they claim it's due to the pandemic, it's not, between May 2019 uh, and May 2020, we had an all-time record for an annual release period of 81,000 drug deaths, which is 14,000 more than occurred in 2018. We're going badly in the wrong direction. And then they segue into saying, well, thank God your son got better mm-hmm. at the Karen Foundation. Let's yeah. get more people into treatment, just like your son got into. Isn't that logical? Isn't that the solution?
0: Well, it's funny that it's not funny. It's interesting that what the concept of a disease comes from taking from the smallest percentage of the worst-off population and extrapolating that across everybody universally. And the reasons that we take for why the disease model works is taking from the smallest percentage of people who've gone through treatment and succeeded and extrapolating that across, directly across the other way, just layered on top of each other.
1: It's... yeah. The small suspe- percentage you were successful, who are become addicted, who come out of privileged backgrounds, and were successful in good part because of that. And among other things that you and I know about a different world is you work with families for sensible drug policy. You know people primarily privileged people, so they're already you know have a hard time reaching out. I mean there aren't a ton of inner city. Occasionally they get somebody from an inner city or. A rural background, but rarely, for whom all of this hasn't worked,
0: which is right. already
1: the majority of people, even <laughs> in privileged backgrounds. Right. So they, you know, we're, you're, we're hearing a much, you know, different narrative that counteracts completely, runs against, you know, Harry Cunane and and Madeline Dean's narrative.
0: You know, uh, I've told you my rule about always giving a kid a push on a swing. Uh huh the idea behind that is that now do if you I'm get on,
1: strange kids push us on swings or are only kids that you come to the
0: playground with <laughs> well maybe both no 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 uh, kids under the, my under my care at a school if a kid that i'm working with you know kids if, this is not high school kids by the way this i'm talking about like elementary school kids right. who are who are on the swing and say will you push me we used to have this group of people who would just sit down drinking their coffees and come up with reasons why ah, not right now and it was a rule of mine to always give a kid a push it's like a philosophy that that is metaphorical always give a kid a push on the swing and the idea and behind also,
1: that so it's why you're always going to have a job you know uh yeah could,
0: yeah uh, it's true
1: you could drink some coffee but you know you're employed they've given you a job right trying to do your damn job you learn the value about that
0: and the idea behind it is that the kid when they ask for that is expressing a need maybe they're expressing just a want but in all likelihood they're asking something that they kind of need right now and it will help them in their development in funny ways it's like relationship building it's kinesthetically enjoyable it's a nice experience And they're asking, you know, to be in your network kind of. So the risk of me pushing a kid on the swing and then it wasn't really something they needed is so low. Like what would be the downside of it that why wouldn't I do it? I like that mind, just giving myself little rules and reminders like that keeps me from being awash in ideology that says, you know, this way of treating human beings is better. It reminds me that the people who I'm working for our kids. If I'm in the addiction field, the people who I'm working for are human beings who have the problems. So it's not, it's never my job to say, well, I don't feel like doing that. And so how can I rationalize ways not to do it? How can I make life simpler for myself and just do other things that sound nice and look good? My job is to really work with those people who have needs.
1: And they're initiating the needs themselves. They've already gotten on the swing. You didn't get them there. They want to do that. So it's not like you're saying, oh, why don't you get on the swing? And the third thing is it's a nat Kids have been on swings. That, that might go back to cave people or whoever. Right. A- right, I mean, that seems to be something that people like to do. That's a normal Not. It's good exercise, um it's a way of interacting with other people who are on the swings and people who push them it's in a positive expression and involvement in the world it's it's the opposite of therapy you might almost say well uh swing therapy i would call it but then why denic what desecrate something that's already naturally occurring
0: Nah, yeah, there you go that's it you know I, I guess my point is people are asking for help in ways that without that language sort of all the tacitly saying i have a need all the time and the people who are tasked with trying to pick up on well what do people need are never listening to those cries and i i think that people they're making
1: up they're looking farther downstream or making up syndromes where you're helping the basic process we're going to jump to that in part three so let's keep to our schedule half hour hour in
0: half hour in and do you want to just go over what we will, this may be a paragraph right now, but what we'll be talking about in the second episode. And as you're talking, there'll be a little video that people can click on to get into part two.
1: We're going to be talking about, without well, something else in the news. There's some famous young people who have gotten, haven't made it successfully into adulthood. Britney Spears is number one. She's a news item now. Um, we're going to talk about that. And then in the third part, we're going to segue into, well, okay, what what if my son or daughter's already starring in something like athletics? Is that bad or drama or singing? Is that something I should discourage based on the Britney Spears story? So those are parts two and three of this cascading presentation about, which we're continuing, about the future of addiction and the future of our children.
0: So to get to that video right now, you're probably seeing a little video screen right next to Stanton's right arm. Click on that and you'll see part two.